Welcome to the Rhodes Church Podcast. We are so excited to connect with you. We hope that this podcast builds your faith and that you will be encouraged and inspired by this week's message. So uh, kingdom culture. When I talk about kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, and I want to talk about this uh, today in a certain context, so I hope you're prepared for this. When I talk about the kingdom of heaven, remember the kingdom of heaven is the principal components of heaven, the system or the culture of heaven or how heaven operates. You could also say it this way, the set of attitudes, values, goals, and practices of heaven. You could say, put it together, kingdom culture then is the set of attitudes, values, goals, and practices of the kingdom of heaven. So this is what we're looking for. We're looking to get our attitudes, values, goals, and practices from the system that comes directly from heaven, not from the culture of this world. So the culture of heaven trumps the culture of the world. And we get the culture of heaven from the word of God. So that's where we're getting our basis. Don't believe a thing that Chad Everett says unless you verify it through scripture. I'm just a human being. But verify, point you to Jesus, point you to the word. The word is what's going to make a difference in your life. All right? So that's what we teach people to do here. We're not wanting anybody to follow people. We want to follow Jesus. Can I get an amen from somebody? All right, here at the church, we get a little excited about the Bible because, as I said, we believe it is the final truth in the world, so we get a little pumped whenever we open it. So if you've got your Bibles, come on, E-Roads family, join with us. Let's open them up today to Matthew chapter 13. Woo! Matthew 13. Anybody ready? I feel the Lord is stirring already. Lord Jesus, let's do it. Matthew chapter 13, verse 36 is where I'm going to start reading. Here's what it says. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house, and his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. Now, you can find that parable in verses 24 through 30. We've already talked about it. But verse 37, he answered and said to them, here's the interpretation, he who sows the good seed is the son of man, the field is is the world, the good seeds are the sons of the kingdom, but the tares are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. Notice the characters playing out in this. So we've got the son of man, we've got sons of the kingdom, we've got sons of the wicked one, and we've got the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for the reading of your word. Holy Spirit, I ask you to come and help us all to hear what you're saying. God, I lean into you and I just yield the floor to you. I pray for the heart of heaven to be communicated today in a way that you would want it communicated. That it's all for you, Jesus. Let every one of us as we leave this place be thinking about you, be drawn to you, and be encouraged and convicted by you. In Jesus' name, everybody say amen. Amen. All right, here's what we're seeing here. This this little parable, Jesus gives an explanation. I want you to see something here. This is the current age that we're living in prior to Jesus returning. So Jesus is laying out the groundwork. This is what's happening in our world today, all right? He's painting a picture for us, and here's here's what it is. Jesus is sowing seeds, In this age, in this time, in this day, Jesus is sowing seeds. When I say sowing seeds, he's planting things to grow things. Those seeds, the Bible says, are the sons of the kingdom or sheep or believers, Christians, you might say. Satan is also sowing seeds during this age. 
Those seeds are the sons of the wicked one, the Bible says, or goats. So notice the distinction. We have Jesus at work during this age trying to grow things, grow people that are following him. But we also have in the same age, we have Satan at work sowing seeds, trying to grow and advance his kingdom. So we have both agendas, both kingdoms at work, and both of them depend on the cooperation of human beings for their agenda to be accomplished. Just what the Bible is saying. So now at the end of this age, this is the sowing age. At the end of this age, there's going to be the harvest age or the reaping age. So there'll be no more sowing. There's no more of Satan trying to grow his kingdom, God trying to grow his kingdom. There's coming an end, and at the end, it will be time to reap based on what we've sown. Are you with me so far? So at the end of this age, two types of people will stand before Jesus. Only two. This needs to be crystal clear. At the end, two types. Not Democrats and Republicans. Not Protestants and Catholics. Not masked and unmasked or vaccinated and unvaccinated. Two types of people. Sons of the kingdom and sons of the wicked one. That's it. That's the only categories available. You might say, well, Chad, I'm kind of in the middle of, I'm neither one. There's only two. If you think you're in the middle, you're in the sons of the wicked one. Somebody needs to love you enough to tell you that. Be ready today because this is not a message for, uh, I'm sensing something in my spirit that God is speaking to me, that he's put me on this planet to do something, and I'm sensing an urgency of the time, the time of what we're living in, and the time of placating and just being nicety and da-da-da-da-da. Someone has to love someone enough to look them in the eye and say, get right with God. It's time. It's time. I'm thankful that someone looked at me and said, that's not of God. Stop. And this is what we're doing. Not in an angry, angry way, not in a hateful way, but this, these are the only two categories. So sheep and goats, wheat and tares, sons of the kingdom, sons of the wicked one. So these two opposing forces are at work. And they have a different agenda. The distinction between their agenda is clearly seen in John chapter 10. Here's what it says. John chapter 10, verse 10. The thief, this is Jesus speaking, the thief does not come except. In other words, this is the only reason he shows up. He's got one M.O. This is the only reason he's here. He's not here to be nice to you. He's not here to help your career. He's not. If someone says, well, now I'm just serving the devil and I'm telling you what's the best thing that ever happened in my life. They have been bamboozled and hoodwinked. Because he only comes for three reasons. Number one, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's what the Bible says, John chapter 10. So stealing, killing, and destroying... That is the fingerprints of Satan and the sons of the wicked one. Wherever there is killing in any form, that's the sons of the wicked one or Satan at work. Jesus does not have death to give you. It says here, I have come. Here's his MO. Here's his agenda. Here's what he's doing. I have come that they may have That was weak. 
I have come that they may have life. Yes. Why does Jesus show up? To give us life and life more abundantly. Notice the polar opposites of the agenda of the two camps. So now, what are we supposed to do? If we're sons of the kingdom and there's this clear agenda of Jesus that I might have life and life more abundantly, but yet Satan is sowing seeds in this age and those are called sons of the wicked one, producing people that agree with his agenda. What are we supposed to do with these different agendas? Here's what the Bible says. We are to stand against Satan and the sons of the wicked one. Here's what I've come to bring to awareness today is it seems like in Christianity, there seems a little bit of losing the concept of standing against. That we've, we've adopted too much of a placating mindset where we just acquiesce and we just push back and, and step back and, and we don't want to be offensive and so we kind of just let's blend in and, and not be too, but the Bible says that we're to stand against something. Too riled up too early. Hang on, let me calm down. Ephesians chapter 6. I feel the Lord just stirring in my heart. So I'm just, Ephesians chapter 6, this is what it says. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. Why do we put on the whole armor of God? That you may be able to stand against. Why do I put on the armor of God? So that I can be able to stand against. I can't stand against without the armor of God. What am I standing against? I'm standing against the wiles of the devil. Does the devil have wiles? Evidently, because the Bible says so. What am I supposed to do with those wiles? I'm supposed to stand against them. You want to stand against them means to resist them or to oppose them. That's what he says. Be ready. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We don't wrestle against people. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm not fighting against you. But some of you didn't believe that. I just felt that. <laughs> at least not right now. No, you're not fighting against them. But we do wrestle against, here's what we wrestle against, principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age. Of this age that we're living in, there are rulers of darkness that are allowed to operate in this age. It's happening. It's what's going on. And we are to wrestle against them. We are to resist them. We're to fight against them. We're to oppose them. We're supposed to come out after them. Just like Devane was saying about making contact and taking contact. That's such a great football analogy. Too many times in Christianity, we're trying to dodge and hope the enemy doesn't hit us. When we should be ramming him over like a bulldozer and say, if you get in my way, you're going to get trucked. I've got all kinds of football thoughts going in my head now. I've got to back off, back off. Against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places, therefore, because of this, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. What's the evil day? The evil day is right now. Evil day is right now. Why is it called the evil day, Chad? Because evil is allowed to operate now. But there's coming a day when evil will be done. 
Satan's goose will be cooked, flambéed. Flambéed, is that flam? Something like that, yeah. Cooked, let's just stay with cooked. Stay with terms you know, Chad. Cooked. <laughs> It'll be cooked. Sometimes, sometimes when the devil's throwing a bunch of stuff at you in your mind, in your life, then the best thing you can do is say, hold up, hold up. Hold up. Man, this, you know, when I'm stressing out, I'm feeling the weight of issues and the difficulties in the world, sometimes I got to stop and I say, hang on. You got some good shots right now, but just let me tell you something. Your days are coming to an end. Your days of being able to torment me in my mind are coming to an end, but my days are just becoming. My days are just beginning. Because it says here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it says, whose minds the God of this age has blinded. Some pe- God, the enemy, the, he can call the God of this age, according to Paul, he can blind the minds of people who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. During this age, here's what he's saying, the devil will be able to blind the minds of some people to cooperate with his agenda, and they are the sons of the wicked one. It's happening in our life. It's happening in our life. The people's minds can be blinded by the God of this age. So we have to be aware that this is his agenda, to blind our eyes. They're going to follow the desires of the devil. In John chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus is talking. He says this, you are of your father, the devil. Jesus is talking to human beings. And he says, you are of your father, the devil. Does that sound like nice and just pleasant Jesus that everybody loves? No, he's calling out wickedness and saying, whenever you obey these things, you are of your father, the devil. Stop and repent and become a son of the kingdom. He wasn't throwing them out. He was identifying their location. And sometimes until someone loves me enough to tell me where I am, I won't know how to get out of where I am. They'll just tell me, oh, you're fine. It's okay. Jesus loves you. Yes, he loves you. Stop sinning and repent and become a son and daughter of the kingdom. That's his desire for you. His desire. That's what Jesus was saying. Hey, you're you're of your father. Desires of your father, you do. So what do we do with this? How do we identify? If we want to be sons of the kingdom instead of sons of the wicked one, what do we do? Let's look at 1 John. 1 John chapter 3. Anybody want to be a son of the kingdom? All right. I pray by the, rest, by the end of the service, the rest of you want to be a son of the kingdom. 1 John chapter Lord Jesus, convict us all. 1 John chapter 3. Are you with me? Let's say verse 7. Who are they? Who are the sons of the kingdom? Notice what it says. How do, how do I know them, Chad? How do I know the difference between the sons of the kingdom and the sons of the wicked one? It's kind of confusing right now. Verse 7 says this, little children, let no one deceive you. Sounds like a great title for a series. Let no one deceive you. Let no one deceive you. Let me read it again. Let no one deceive you. Or you could rephrase it this way, do not let anyone deceive you. In other words, can we be deceived? Yes. Do we have a say-so in whether we are? (laughs) Are. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> Sorry, had something caught there. Let no one deceive you. So in other words, we have an option whether we are deceived or not. Some people are going to choose deception. Well, no, I'm not. How do we choose deception? I'm glad you asked. We choose deception when we ignore the truth of the word. When we ignore, ignore the Bible, we choose deception. Well, I'm not choosing deception. When we ignore the truth, we embrace deception. That's how it works. So it says, let no one deceive you. So in other words, we're going to have to know our Bible or we will be deceived in this age. Oh, Jesus. Let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous. Just as he is righteous. So here's how we know the sons of the kingdom. They're the ones who practice righteousness. That word practice means to behave in a certain manner, to do or perform. So those who practice righteousness, those are the ones who are righteous. So let me clarify this phrase. I think this is very important. When I read it, I felt like God wanted me to bring some highlights to this. So what we're saying is those who do righteous things are righteous. Now, if we're not careful, we can get confused. Theologically, and we can think that the Bible is saying that if I do righteous things, I will become righteous. But that's not what the Bible is saying because there's a difference in two phrases. There's a difference in means by which or means by and evidence of. There's a difference in means by and evidence of. The means by I'm made righteous is not by practicing righteousness. The means by I become righteous is through, by grace, through faith, the blood of Jesus applied to my life, I can be born again. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. That's the means by I become righteous, that he who knew no sin became sin so that I might become the righteousness of God in him. That's the means by. But the, this scripture is talking about the evidence of. So those who practice righteousness... It is the evidence that they are righteous because righteous people do righteous things. It's not saying that if I do righteous things, I'll become righteous. No, no, no. It's saying that if you are righteous, you will do righteous things. It's not saying that if I read my Bible, I will be righteous. No. It will say if I'm righteous, I will read my Bible. It's not saying that if I pray enough, I will become righteous. No, no, no. It's saying that if I'm righteous, I will want to pray. I'm going to drop another loving bomb to us. All right, are you ready? Listen, if you have no desire to read the word, no desire to pray, no desire to worship God, check your heart. You may not be born again. You may have gone to church a long time. You may have sat here in church for a while. But if you have no desire to read the word, no desire to pray, no desire to worship him, you may not be born again. And someone needs to lovingly tell you that changed people Changed people are different. The Bible says old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. So I would rather ask that if you go to church and you're never challenged by your pastor to think, wait a minute. If you're never challenged, somebody said this, well, they say it all the time. They didn't necessarily just say it to me, but people say this. Well, it doesn't matter where you go as long as you're going. For years, I have never believed that statement. And I'm not saying that because I think we're the best. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying it matters where you go. It matters. It matters because 
we need the truth in our life, in our heart, and not everybody's going to tell you the whole truth. Again, I'm not saying us versus anybody else. That's not a comparison statement. I'm just saying it matters what truth you get. So what are we practicing? You practice righteousness. I thought about this, and here's another sports analogy. This is just how it works with me. If it doesn't work for you, then figure out your own analogy. But here's... If I'm practicing righteousness, if I'm practicing shooting a basketball, because it says he who practices righteousness is righteousness. If I'm practicing shooting, that does not mean I never miss. But I do have one goal every time, and that's to make it. Every time I'm trying to make it, but I might miss once in a while, but I'm practicing towards one goal, and that is to make it. If I'm righteous, I will practice trying to hit it every single time. I cannot be good at basketball and practice pool. I can't be righteous and practice sinning. I've got to pick which one I want to practice. I'm not saying you're never going to miss it and drop the ball once in a while, that thing. But if I'm practicing sin regularly, then I may not be righteous according to the Bible. But if I'm righteous, I'm going to miss it once in a while. But guess what I'm doing? When I get the ball, I'm going to shoot again and keep shooting and shooting because I'm trying to make it every time. Does that work for you? If not, try something else. But that's what I got. Because the Bible says this in Matthew 13, 41, the son of man will send out his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness. Mm, mm, mm. Who's, who's getting kicked out? Those who practice lawlessness. Not the ones who have a oops. Not the ones who have a spiritual boo-boo. Man, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said that. God, forgive me. That's that's not it. It's not getting people like, well, I just don't know whether I'm saved from one minute to another. I have zero doubt whether I'm born again. I have zero concern about whether I'm born again. I know in my knower and my knower that I'm born again. So it's not a matter of am I wondering if I'm saved or not. It's saying what it means to be saved. And so because I'm born again, this is the lifestyle that Jesus wants me to live. Those who practice lawlessness. So now Jesus died and rose to do what? Verse 8 says, he who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning, but for this purpose the Son of God was manifested. Here's what he was manifested for, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Jesus died and rose again to destroy the works of the devil. Now, what's our job as sons of the kingdom, if you are? If you're sons of the kingdom, our job is to enforce his victory. We're not fighting for victory because it's a victory we can't get on our own. But Jesus, big brother, he won the victory for us over death, hell, and the grave. So because he won that victory, now it's our job to enforce that victory against opposition, Satan and the sons of the kingdom, who will try and steal our victory from us if we'll give it to him. Are you seeing how this works? This is what's not taught enough in church, that people come in, they sit for years, and they sit under this ideology that, well, if, it's, if it happens, that means that God wanted it to happen, so therefore we just have no say-so, and we just go blah, la, 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 la. And that's not what our Bible teaches. Our Bible teaches us that we are at war, and we are to engage the enemy and overcome the enemy. Let me give you some examples. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 2. Everybody Ready? 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3, ready or not, here we come. says, you therefore, you, that's me, talking to Chad, talking to you. 
You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. In this age, I want to say this as lovingly as I can to the church and to myself. This is what God is speaking to me because Paul's writing this to Timothy, and Timothy's the pastor of a church in Ephesus, one of the largest churches in the world at that time. Paul, being his senior advisor, his father in the faith, is encouraging his son as a pastor, and here's the words he tells him. He says, Timmy, you must endure hardship. He might as well be pastoring in 2021. I don't know that there's ever been a more difficult time for me in ministry than this season now. So much division, so much opposition, so much polarization among topics and ideology and theories. And I get maybe, you know, pastoral care notes and I hear of a victory, of a testimony, some breakthrough, something good happening, yes. And right in line with that, I may have three or four of this person sick, this person's in ICU, this person died, this person happened, this... Hit after hit after hit after hit over and over and over. What do we do? What do we do? Here's what the church needs to hear. We are in war. And we are to endure hardship. We're not trying to run from it. We're not trying to hide. We're not trying to patty cake around it. We have to endure hardship. In this war, we will uh, experience losses. Here's what this word says. Are you ready for this? If you're going to be a believer, here you go. Here's what he says. Experience and suffer physical harm or distress or emotional pain. Woohoo! Sign me up for that. Are we getting the whole gospel? Golan says, no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him. Who are we supposed to be pleasing? We're supposed to be pleasing him. But he said, here's the problem, Timothy. Here's the reason why some people don't please him because they're so entangled with the affairs of this life that this life is so important to them that they're restricted. I would do more for God, but you know... I would love to do more. He said they're so entangled with the affairs of this life, they forgot they're supposed to be living for that life. Our values get so much into our jobs and our careers and finances and the love of money is the root of all evil. We get so entangled with it that now we say, well, I can't, God, because I I would like to, but I can't. And he said, forget it. You're restricted because you're too entangled in the wrong life. 2 Timothy 4 verse 5 says, but you be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry. Endure afflictions. I come to tell some brothers or sisters in the Lord who are suffering, dealing with tragedy, dealing with overcoming odds, dealing with situations that got them in distress and and discouragement. I'm come to tell you to endure afflictions. We're going to have them. We have to endure. We got to keep pressing forward. We have to overcome. It's going to hurt. It's going to be emotional pain. It's going to be physical pain. It's going to be persecution. It's going to be opposition. But we are sons and daughters of the kingdom. And this age is going to come to an end. And when it comes to the end, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But until then, Endure. Endure. Overcome. 
Let's do it. But Chad, it's awful. I know. I know times that I lay on the floor and I cry and I say, God, I can't. I'm overwhelmed. When am I going to hear some good news? God, I need some good news. He said, I've got good news for you. Open up your Bible. Get up off the floor and read my word. We got our eyes on this life, dependent on the life, this life to give us good news. We have good news from Jesus. Oh, Lord Jesus, help me, help me. So both of these agendas are at work. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be blessed every day of their life. (laughs) We will. What will we also have? We will suffer persecution. But evil men and imposters will do what? They're going to grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. So it's going to, they're they're not only deceive themselves, these are sons of the wicked one, but they're also trying to deceive others and they're going to grow worse. In this age, you're like, when are things going to turn around when Jesus comes? In the meantime, what's our job? Our job, in Matthew chapter 13, verse 30, it says this, let them both grow together, talking about the wheat and the tares. Grow together. So the same time that things are growing worse and worse with evil, it should be growing better and better in the kingdom of God. We are not victims, we are victors. We are to spread the influence in the midst of tragedy, in the midst of difficulty, when people look at your life and say, hey, you are not above persecution, but how are you handling your life with what I know you've gone through? You can look them in the eye and say, it is Jesus, the Lord of my life. He's the one who helps me through it. Because we're all going through tragedy. We're all going through difficulty. The difference is how we go through. We're all going to face pain. We're all going to face troubles. But we have to have an agenda that falls in line with God's agenda. So now God has called us to stand against the agenda of Satan and the sons of the wicked one. We can't be silent. Let me close with this story. In Esther chapter 4, Esther, if you're familiar with this story, was a Jewish girl and an evil king, ungodly king, got rid of his queen because she didn't do what he wanted. So he put out a pageant, if you will, to get a new queen. And Esther was qualified for the job. She was fine as frog hair, as they used to say. <laughs> beautiful lady. The Bible says she's beautiful to behold. So, so never, <laughs> sorry, filter. So Esther gets the position as queen. A Jewish queen in a pagan government. She was put in a position. She was covertly installed in a place of influence. There was an evil guy by the name of Haman. And Haman wanted to kill all the Jews. Wonder why bad. Long story, but he just wanted to kill all the Jews, of which Esther was one. He convinced the king to make a law that now it is legal to kill all Jews. It's a a law. It's legal. 
So Esther is in this position of influence, and Mordecai, her cousin, says, Hey, Esther, we need to take advantage of your position of influence. We need you to open up your mouth and say something. We need you to not be silent, but we need you to, hey, plead our case before the king. you got to help a brother out, right? But the king, you could not go before the king because you... If you went in there without permission, you could die. So Esther tells Mordecai, your cuz, I'd love to help you out, but you don't understand. I can't do that. It might cost me something. It might cost me my life. It might cost me my position, my job. I could be fired as queen, like literally fired, on fire. So when she says that and said, hey, listen, Mordecai, I'd love to help you, but I would have to take the risk of losing everything to help your cause. What was Mordecai's response? Hey, I understand. It's a big ask. I understand. No, here's what he said. Mordecai told them to tell Esther this. Do not think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than all the other Jews. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. But you and your daddy and your whole family will perish. I started improvising there. They're going to perish. Yet who knows? whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. I want to say to us, believers, sons of the kingdom, we are put in positions of influence every single day of our life. And who knows? Maybe you and I are put in the positions we're in for such a time as this. Instead of crying and complaining and going, oh, I wish this was long ago when I didn't have to face it. What if we looked at it as opportunity to bring influence instead of trying to run and hide. See, the kingdom theology, some theologies teach that the world is the consuming force and that we as believers are just to survive this evil, unstoppable force by just getting out of here someday. But I believe kingdom theology is that the kingdom of heaven is the consuming force and that it should overtake the world through influence. Now, depending on which theology we embrace, it determines our worldview. If I believe, if I believe the theology that the evil force is the one that's powerful and influential, and I'm just supposed to survive, then I will live my Christian life accordingly. But if I believe in the kingdom theology, then I will say what I have on the inside of me is greater than what's against me. So I'm going to live my life of influence and I'm going to begin to spread the kingdom wherever I go, no matter what it costs me. Because I believe I've got influence. I believe I've got something that God's wanting me to spread in the world. And it's not me, it's Jesus on the inside of me. They need the kingdom. It's about the kingdom of God. We have to live with a biblical worldview. If we live with a biblical worldview, we will understand that the ultimate end game is that Jesus is going to rule and reign in the earth. Have a biblical worldview. Be encouraged. Satan's going to do some barking. He rolls around 
roaring, like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Rawr, rawr, rawr. Big talker. But I'm telling you, he's not a lion. We serve the lion of the tribe of Judah. And the Bible says, the Bible says that the righteous are bold as a lion. So he's going around like a roaring lion. All the while the righteous are shrinking back and saying, well, let's not offend anybody. Let's not make anybody mad. Let's go to our building and our church services and let's hide in there. Where were the bold as the lion at? Where are the ones that's going to stand out and stand against? God's called us to stand against. Stand against the powers of darkness. I want to acknowledge the standing against that just took place this week quickly. Texas legislation, Senate Bill number eight. This law, this law was signed by the governor, prohibits abortions whenever an ultrasound can detect what lawmakers define as a fetal heartbeat, maybe as early as six weeks. Thank you, Jesus. Providers, and abortion rights advocacy groups say this would affect at least 85% of the abortions taking place in the state. Now this one doctor said he normally performs between 20 and 30 abortions every day at the Planned Parenthood Center for Choice in Houston. But on the day before this went into law, they saw over 100 patients before midnight. Over 100 babies aborted in one day to get under the wire. I saw people that were uh, protesting, holding up signs, saying, abortion saves lives. And I began to wonder, and the 2 Corinthians 4.4 came to my mind, where the God of this age blinded the minds of people. That they can actually be so convinced that abortion, that in the state of Texas kills over 56,000 babies a year, saves lives. What lives does it save, I would ask? I know I saw another sign that says, we demand bodily autonomy. In other words, we want to be able to determine what happens to our body. Two thoughts came to my mind. Number one, I'm in agreement with you. Absolutely, I agree with whatever you do with your body is your choice. Could we possibly apply that across the board to every issue we're facing? Just a thought. Secondly, secondly, I thought, what happens to your body is your choice. But what happens to the body that God gave you the privilege to carry, that is not yours to take. That was yours to receive to nurture, to cherish, to bring into the world. There's places, there's adoptions, there's foster places, there's people praying to be able to have children that would love to adopt that baby. I'm telling you, I realize it's a complicated issue, but from a biblical worldview, it's not that complicated. Abortion is not a son of the kingdom philosophy, it is a son of the wicked one philosophy. Now people say this, People say, Chad, now you're going, you're going to be political. It's not political. I just have the audacity to believe that the kingdom of heaven should permeate every area of my life. It shouldn't just be in one category. Some people can say, well, I'm a Christian, but I put God over here and I put my politics over here, and they'll actually choose their politics over Scripture. 
And all I'm saying is, people, that we're to spread the kingdom of God and its culture everywhere. Everywhere we go. But be ready. This is the motivational talk for the day. quote it to you. I feel the heart of God. He says, be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. As soon as I read that scripture, most people check out. They're like, man, I'm not an evangelist. I'm not in ministry, so I must be that guy, that gal. No, no, no. You know what an evangelist is? Someone who proclaims good news. You are an evangelist. At your work, at your school, at your home, the store, wherever you go. He's saying to you and I in this age. Why? Because God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The Father's heart is to save the sons of the wicked ones. Not to be mean to them. Not to banish them. But his heart is to win them over to be a son or daughter of the kingdom. So he says to us in this age... Do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry. You've got one. You've got one. I like to one-on-one get in front of your face and say, you have a ministry. Go fulfill it. Fulfill it. That means bring it to completion. I recognize more than ever, I'm seeking God more than I ever have in my life, that I have a job on this earth. I have an assignment given to me, my God. And as much as I complain and I'm painful and hurt and like all these difficulties, God's staring me in the eyes and said, Chad, suck it up. Endure affliction and fulfill your ministry. Do what I created you to do because my sons and daughters matter to me. I gave my son for them. Endure affliction. Endure hardship. Overcome. You're going to face opposition. Sons of the wicked one are going to try and bring trouble into your life. But overcome. Let's go. I'm in you. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Stand against the opposition. They don't stand and complain about it. Stand against it. Strengthen not by your own might, not by your own power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to give, please visit us at theroads.church. To stay connected, follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch our latest sermons.